Welcome to the podcast. We are really honored to have all the way from Houston, Texas this morning, Chris Williams. How are you doing this morning, Chris? Good, bro. How are you, man? Pretty good. Now, Chris, or should we just go with Shaggy? Shaggy. Not, not even my mom knew my real name. <laughs> and so I guess before we even start down the road on the podcast, why Shaggy? Uh, I guess the reference to the cartoon, uh, long blonde hair, surfer guy. Uh, not remarkable in any way, but uh, for where I'm from, San Diego, but when you come to Texas, you definitely look different than the, the norm, and so that stuck with me uh, and has been uh, my moniker, I guess, over a decade. Right on. So born, raised in San Diego then? Yeah, sure was. Born in La Jolla, uh, grew up in Pacific Beach, and uh and then moved to Texas when I was in my uh, middle teens, just about to get out of high school. Bit of a hard shift at that age. Yeah, uh, no sidewalks. And so when you grow up on a skateboard and <laughs> move, to a town, <laughs> move to a town with pebble roads and no sidewalks, you tend to uh, fatalize for a little while, but I got through it. They have skate parks in Texas. Uh, they do now, but not then. Uh, literally, the only place you can ride a skateboard is if you went to a major city or obviously parking lots and that kind of thing. But when you use that as a mode of transportation your entire life, and then come to Texas where uh, a horse was uh, a much easier way to get around, it was a wild transition to say the least. The preferred method of travel, depending on state. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right on. So, rescue. You said in uh, in some of the documentation that I've looked at in regards to you, climbing background, water background. What is what that? Is that? Dang it, I lost you for a second. So, yeah, climbing background, water background. What does that mean? Uh, uh, like I said in the article, it, it was uh, it, just humble beginnings. Uh, my mom bought a like think a 200 foot length of rope and a uh, rescue eight uh, when I was 12 and uh, said, uh, go forth and be merry. So uh, no uh, harness or anything. So I got in the library, learned how to make a little seat harness out of a length of the ropes. We cut the end off, did that. And then uh, bounced down uh, big boulders and small cliffs for a few uh, months until we figured out what we were doing. And then uh, just kind of carried on from there. Uh, more crashing than uh, sending for sure. It's the school of hard knocks. You're still <laughs> above ground though. So it must've worked. Yeah. Yeah. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Exactly. But the The water side was uh, a normal thing just for a California kid. Uh, lived within a couple of miles of the beach my entire life and spent a bunch of time in the ocean uh, and uh, just uh, kind of went there for everything. Right on. Yeah. For people that live inland, I guess they never realize that us folks that grew up next to the water kind of spent most of this time in it. Yeah. I mean, you horseshoes when you're not uh, and uh, obviously surfing or uh, bodyboarding or whatever when you're in there so it's just uh it just draws you to it and uh water has done that my whole life right on now how did you get involved with formalized rescue uh major uh, uh petrochemical corporation i uh, went to work for them uh, it was kind of by design i uh, wanted to get into the the formal side of rescue I was looking at like search and rescue from a, like a civilian piece, which is uh, uh, certainly doable, but kind of a harder transition. And uh, I saw that uh, a lot of these big plants either had mutual aid where they had small amounts of gear and then they, uh, you know, kind of seconded to somebody else or the larger places had uh, robust firehouses and uh, giant uh, budgets. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get uh, employment uh, with uh, a company that uh, had the ladder uh, and uh, 20, 25 person rescue team with all the gear that you can carry. And uh, 
fell right into it and been in love ever since. Right on. And uh, what did that team, what was the primary goal of that team? Was it industrial or was it just complex? Was it urban, you know, rural? Uh, primarily industrial. Um, the It's a, a pretty good, big place. It's actually uh, two different companies that share a fence. Uh, so uh, it's a mutual funding on both sides. And, uh, uh, you know, occasionally you could get outside the fence. Uh, years ago, there was a paraglider that had crashed. Unfortunately, it deceased. And they called our rescue team out to go get him, but for the most part, just uh, uh, responding to confined space uh, situations or uh, uh, fall from height on lanyards, like uh, scaffold builders, that kind of thing. Right on, okay. And then in the article, and if anybody's looking for it, uh, it was uncomplicated, the uh, uncomplicating the complicated. And uh, where was that article published again? They, uh, it's on uh, our website, uh, and it w came out in, I believe, winter of 2020 in Industrial Fire World. Okay, and the website's verticalintegritarescue.com, and we'll get to that in a bit. Um, in the article, you mentioned that you took part in an organization called International Rescue and Emergency Care Association. Um, how about some elaboration on that? So for folks like me that don't know exactly what it is. Um, the, the best way to look at it, uh, GRIMP being the, the foremost piece out there, I would think. Uh, uh, certainly GRIMP light. Um, IRECA's uh, kind of ethos is uh, doing uh, a lot with a, a very small loadout. And uh, the team that I was uh, blessed to be a part of had competed uh, in IRECA several years before. And so they kind of knew the format and uh, it came back around and was actually in our backyard and NASA was uh, sponsoring it that year. And uh, we had an opportunity to go and uh, kind of the rest is history. Just NASA sponsoring, it's a little organization Just down a little, the street. A little bit, a little, little bitty thing. Right on. So. Is it an organization or an association you belong to as well, or is it strictly a competition type format? You do have a membership, uh, which is, uh, uh, helps them with funding, uh, obviously. Uh, but for the most part, uh, IRECA is an organization that promotes uh, children uh, choosing this as a career path. And so, uh, what it ends up looking like from a competition perspective is they spend a bunch of time uh, bringing these kids up through BLS and ALS. Uh, they have their own little competition side. And then to teach uh, empathy, if you will, uh, they become our live patients during our rescue portion. So they get to see both sides of the fence. We get to interact with kids that are, you know, super on fire for, uh, life-saving and uh, besides the trophies and, and accolades uh, for me 100% that interaction with those uh, kids is uh, the life of the thing and, and why it keeps me coming back for sure. Right on and now it's funny because at Grimp we just get told bring enough stuff to make a hundred meter high line with a reeve like there's mm -hmm. some some other pieces to that. There's some rules for certain, but it sounds like this here is a lot more, uh, all you can bring is X, Y, and Z. Is that true? That is correct. You, you have to have uh, one rope that's 300 foot. The other ones can be uh, whatever length you choose, but 800 is the total amount you can bring. Uh, you get like five pulleys, three rope grabs, a um, couple of prusik cords, some padding, some slings, uh, swivel anchor plate, you know, the a main small loadout, like you might buy pre-rigged from CMC, for instance. And uh, the each of the seven members have their own uh, descent control device and one Prusik and a uh, pickoff strap, and that's it. 
Now, is this SRT work or is it they still want you to go two line with this equipment loadout? No, you're going to do dual ropes uh, and you can do dual tension if you wanted to. You can use an MPD, uh, that kind of thing. But uh, for the most part, we just do slack belay and uh, everybody stays on two ropes at all times. Okay. So that's obviously one of the, the bigger parameters. Now, just like how long is the event? What is a and a garden variety atypical scenario look like? Scenarios are typically about 45 minutes, uh, depending on how evil they want to get. And uh, where we are, we move around the country. Uh, so you might be in a sugar mill or something one year and uh, or a, a, a typical kind of uh, industrial environment another. And uh, so they just kind of gear them around that. Some of the um, uh, the scenarios are uh, certainly less likely to see in real life, but show a lot of uh, teamwork. Um, one that comes to mind is moving a Stokes through a series of down through a series of ladder cages. Okay. Uh, certainly something that uh, we were able to accomplish, but I would have skated it right off the side of the tower in a real rescue but uh, so like I said 45 minutes uh, heavy on uh, rescue but uh, certainly a, a large medical piece um, and uh, a pretty straightforward um, sheet ticking the boxes uh, time is uh, it means everything the quicker you get done obviously the, the more points you end up with in the end and uh, um, puts a premium on teamwork so your team uh, competed and then was 15 and then we were back and it looks like 17, 18, <clears throat> excuse me, 19. How did you get better? What did you do as a team to train, prepare, equip yourself for this? Uh, mainly it was uh, exactly what they wanted you to do. Uh, learn how to do a, a lot with a little, but trying to take that to a, kind of an algebraic level. Uh, and um, really understanding uh, those movements and not doing things twice. Um, you know, when you, I want to get my medic in as quickly as I can under 10 minutes, be touching the patient. So I'm the primary rescuer. You know, I just need to make sure, and this is obviously uh, kids play when you look at it from a, the broader perspective, but I want to make sure that I put my anchor somewhere that I can turn it into a system, right? But when you're having to run up, you know, 10 flights of stairs and it's 90 degrees outside and they've got sprinklers on you or whatever they're doing to create stress, um, it turns out um, you can easily make the wrong decisions. And um, we just learned to uh, uh, minimize those and uh, through just thousands of repetitions. And uh, it, was, uh, it was close to a tier one. Uh, team talking to some of my Navy SEAL friends or special forces guys, uh, kind of the way that we did our uh, call outs and our moves and pieing corners and keeping in contact with each other and just all these little things, these little nuances that uh, you see, say, on a, a good television program, we were able to perfect. And uh, it was amazing the difference in over just a couple of years. It's interesting you say that we've had ex tier one operators from the Canadian military come and chat with our GRIMP teams about managing and, you know, leadership and followership in high performance teams. It's a, uh, it's a thing and it's different than running your average fire crew or your industrial crew for certain. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, uh, but uh, they do go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah. And it's, uh, and that's why I say leadership and followership because you have on a lot of these teams, I don't know about this one, you know, with the Grim teams, it's a five person rescue team and anyone could be the leader. It's, you mm -hmm. know, it's making sure that you can do, you know, put your input into it in that mad minute and that, you know, bit of democracy that occurs, but then fill your role when the decision's made. Yeah. And uh, they'll do the same kind of similar deal here. You'll do a man down like the, they'll make it, first guy that touches a particular item or something will go down and it, so it can be the, the least of you or, or the all the way up to the captain. Right. And uh, you've got to backfill those things seamlessly uh, decide, uh, you know, a triage 
at that point and figure out who's going out first. And uh, they definitely make you think for sure. Now, what's your overall thoughts on competitions? I mean, we, we get some different back or feedback. I get backlash. I said sometimes about mm-hmm. competitions, about, you know, should we be doing these as competitions? What's your thought about that? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I was all for it. And then as I grew as a rescue tech and my responsibilities grew on the team from a captaincy perspective, um, I started to grow uh, a little callous there. I, I believe that the most important thing is sharing best practices. And when you are trying to win a championship, there's not a whole lot of best practice sharing. I'm sure you can imagine. Yeah. And, uh, and then afterwards, uh, certainly I, I took home some great pro tips uh, from my fellow competitors uh, over beers afterwards. But uh, what I would like to see is maybe a symposium that shares best practices up front where people uh, spend quite a bit of time uh, with each other and, um, you know, learning uh, a, a different way, if you will, and then putting those things uh, in play and having the competition more of a camaraderie kind of thing at the end. Um, I, I'm not advocating for IRECA to change the way they do things, but if I were to do a competition, I believe it would be it would be couched in those best practice sharing prior to the competition, not uh, the other way around. That's interesting. I mean, that came up during the CMC discussions around Grimp North America. It does come up even overseas. The evaluator we send, that's part of their dealio is they're supposed to be, you know, sharing some of those best practices they see around with the, uh, their own groups. Like, Hey, you know, team X did this or team Y did that. And I know, we've taken that to heart. I know some teams don't, and we've changed some of our riggings based on the photographs that our evaluator has brought back to us from other teams. But yeah, there's obviously still, you put 300 type A personalities in a room and see how it works for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not going to, it's not going to end well when championships are on the line. Uh, uh, But uh, Weirdly that you ask, uh, my company actually approached me a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, about starting a competition intramural, and they thought I'd be on board for it, and I wasn't, and uh, that was the exact reason, and uh, to their credit, they said, what would it take in order to get you involved, and uh, I I said the very thing, let's do a symposium up front, Um, let's maybe even uh, just draw teams out of a bucket. You know, uh, if you want to, you know, I don't advocate uh, everybody getting a trophy, but if you wanted to take the trophies out of it and give a nice ring away to everybody that that was in the competition, uh, just so we can really concentrate on wanting to share. And like I said, if you just drew the the guys out of a bucket, I mean, you might be on a you know a team with six or seven different plants. You know, uh, I think there's something. Uh, there that could be worthwhile for sure yeah when we uh when we went to excuse me grim japan we trained with one of the japanese teams beforehand and uh we were asked you know to set up some training scenarios and it's one of the things our team did is we just split the two teams down the middle and intermixed people and now you've even got a language barrier but it's Mm -hmm. pretty entertaining because if you go to a guy you know, it explained to them kind of, you know, with hand signals, what he or she is doing. If they're a rope rescue technician, they figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm on the main line here. They keep yelling one word and we move one direction to yell another. And the other guy starts going the other way. doesn't take long to figure that out. That's true. Yeah. We had uh, the fires foundation from uh, South America came in one year and uh, some, some of our, uh, leaders from Iraq and went down and uh, kind of trained them up. And uh, those guys put so much time and effort in and they were from, you know, different states and countries and uh, had to travel just immense distances and many flights in order to practice. And they came and put such a great effort in. Uh, but uh, 
it kind of didn't translate on some things. Uh, you know, one of the scenarios was a patient was, um, you know, ANO times zero, uh, no pulse, and uh, they expected to jump in, start CPR, call for an AED, that kind of thing. And uh, the team just took the black tag out of their bag and hung it on his toe. And, and the lane graders were looking at him like aliens, but in final analysis, they're like, yeah, we don't, uh, we don't work on people that are already dead. We go into the people that are savable kind of thing. And that was definitely an eye opener. It happens when we compete in Europe a bit too, because obviously the pre-hospital care medical standards, while similar, definitely there's, you know, DABC or March pause or whatever you want to use isn't necessarily the world standards. And if it is the way it's approached might be slightly different as well. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. So yeah, we definitely laughed over beers after that for sure. Yeah. Um, Now the IRECA, when you, you talk here about you've changed up some of the members on your team during the course of these runs that you did. And I, what, what was the years again? Like, uh, here it is 15 or 16, 17, 18, 19. So is there a training regime that you implemented or that your team implemented in order to allow people to move in and out of that to gain experience? Yeah. And it was, uh, it, it was a noble, uh, kind of approach, uh, the way that we sold the leadership to spend the enormous amount of money to train us and, and uh, you know, overtime and all those things. Uh, the way I did it was, listen, 50% of our team is going to compete at this. That means you've created, you know, 10 subject matter experts, and we're going to come back and download these lessons learned and these other 10 members. Uh, we're essentially going to, uh, for the most part, rescue the IRECA way. Uh, and um, it ended up sussing out exactly like that because each of the years that we added people, they weren't people with uh, a bunch of time in the, in the business. Um, a couple of years here, uh, one year guy there, and um, we continued to be one of the top teams in the world. So that really uh, kind of um, cemented that we were doing the right thing in our training program. Right on. And is the team still, do you still have a team competing? I guess with COVID right now, maybe it's off, but are you still looking at this as something in the future? It, it definitely is, is on the board. Uh, COVID uh, ruined it. Um, and then this year, uh, IRECA is back on. Uh, it's going to be sponsored for the second year uh, running by CMC, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Teeks rather, uh, CMC is, uh, involved as well, but, uh, Teeks there in college station is, uh, kind of the sponsoring agency now. You said, uh, I reckon this year is, um, being sponsored by Teeks yes. on a college station and CMC is playing into it. And when is that happening? It's going to happen in September. I just uh, spent a couple of days in College Station uh, teaching a class for them and uh, just learned that they are going to do it in September. Um, our team already has a, um, a thing planned for the same dates, but we weren't planning on uh, competing this year. Um, COVID uh, things are lifting, obviously, uh, but uh we're kind of doing uh, that slow as smooth, smooth as fast thing and just uh, only letting our people travel for um, uh, schools at this point. So I look forward to seeing our team back in Iraqa shape, uh, I would think in 2022. Yeah, and see for us with Grimps, we've cr- made Grimp a prerequisite to reach a certain level within the company which nice. deals with pay and stuff like that. Like we, with our Grimp team, when they go overseas, they have to basically submit a business plan. They're responsible for their own logistics. They're, I mean, money-wise, not so much a lot of times, but they're responsible for organization of their own logistics, their own, you know, transportation, accommodation. If they want gear from the company, I need to see something from them. If they're making other arrangements with sponsors, um, so that way, 
it's not just the fact of you're going over there and competing and you're getting that, you know, last kind of rounding out of experience as an instructor and as a rescue technician, but it's also giving you the experience of, you know, we've got jobs where we worked for NATO and we landed in Hungary. The guys got picked up by the time they got to the base, it was 11 o'clock at night. They were in the hangar the next morning at 7 a.m. Their class started at nine. At seven, they were showing the confined spaces they were to train in and the gear and equipment the team had to train with. Two hours, five-day class, go. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And, so that's uh, why we make our guys run through that and our girls as well. But uh, yeah, so for us, it's it, we are sending folks overseas to do it this year because of that. That's, that's great. That's good to hear. I didn't realize that your team turned over like that. So you, you don't uh, often obviously have the same members each year then. Yes and no. So when Japan happened, the people that have been before kind of have the right to first refusal. We try to change a couple members on the team a year, but like when Japan happened, I, I don't want to say it was like the A team that was sent down there, but everybody that had been there, I think the junior person had competed in four or five grimps. I'd done 13 wow. as in, a, in one way or another. Jeez. 2022, you're going to have a team ready to go. And when will that team start training? Uh, probably immediately. Um, but because we kind of build our team that way, the training never stops anyhow. You'll have a situation where dedicated 10 guys will now be relieved from their normal duties to, to concentrate on something. But for the most part, we haven't stopped training in Iraq of principles ever. And that's kind of the point, right? Um, you know, you might do things a little differently in a grimp scenario than you might in, in real life because you're, you're kind of bound by what other scenario is, but essentially it's the same skills we use day in and day out. Anyhow, Train right? like your fight. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, um, yeah, it, I think it's just going to be a seamless thing. What, what would be different this year is, um, is that there'll be a bunch of new members. In fact, um, just to be fair, I probably will not be on the team in 2022. Uh, just with uh, starting uh, vertical integrity rescue, uh, doing the captain's duties there, uh, teaching for uh, TEKS and IFSI in Champaign, Illinois, uh, keeps me pretty busy. And I'm kind of transitioning out of the, uh, the competition thing and uh, trying to download my skill set into as many people as I can before, uh, you know, I can't walk anymore. So uh, but uh, from a support standpoint, uh, I will be 100% on board with IRECA for the rest of the time I'm with my company. Right on. Um, into the weeds a bit. What equipment does your team utilize when competing at IRECA? Because it's going to be similar, I'm presuming now, to what you'd use on a regular basis. Yeah, uh, MPDs, uh, PESL IDs, uh, the clutch obviously now is a, a game changer. Um, uh, in it's again, really simple, uh, that nothing's pre-rigged, uh, everything, uh, obviously has to be built on site right at the moment. So there are no, uh, Aztec kits, uh, even a positive tie off has to be built with, uh, a, uh, body cord. So you're not, you know, running around with, uh, you know, pencil pieces hanging off your gear that are pre-made. Uh, it's just how they work. There's a little bit of drawback from that because I think there's some things that that probably do need to be introduced. Uh, but um, like anything, it's kind of slow going, and they've they've proved to let us, uh, you know, introduce new gear. But it, it is a process, and uh, it kind of kind of goes both ways. You know, um, the outside world rescue guy wants a few more gadgets, but the guy that's seen um, my team be one of the better prepared teams um, when we send new people to say uh, like a pro board rope one class, for instance, my feedback has been since day one, 
that our people tend to be better prepared when they show up because of our training regimen. And I think it's that build everything from scratch, including uh, bridles and everything uh, out of body cord. And we're just, you know, using clove hitches and that kind of thing. Um, when they get to a, like a pre-rig system, it's, uh, you know, red goes to red and blue goes to blue and it's simple to them. Right on. Um, do you take some of that lessons learned into your training cycles with your students then? Uh, I do. Uh, if we're speaking of vertical integrity, um, yeah. I, I certainly do. Uh, I do have to kind of follow uh, the AHJs of whatever our client is. Uh, so they have uh, some um, wants and needs obviously going forward and or they wouldn't have called me. Um, so um, it's kind of asking permission. Hey, look, this is what I think will make your team better. And if you'll let me do it side by side with something that you do, you might find that my way's a little better or you or, or uh, at least it adds value to their skill set. And uh, so in my mind, uh, I think um, I'll always be a minimalist for sure, and uh, always, you know, kind of uh, teach. Uh, let's uh, let's think this through. Let's deploy one piece of gear and use it for many things, and let's have seamless transitions from whether it be you know from raised to lower or whatever. And so, yeah, I think I'm kind of grounded in that Iraq away in that sense. Now, with Vertical Integrity Rescue, your company. When did that start? Uh, we started it during COVID. Uh, I uh, was- Because you didn't need a challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely counterintuitive to uh, uh, from afar uh, when looking in on this. But um, what, uh, what ended up happening is uh, uh, one of my protégés on the team, uh, a girl, Name Stephanie Funk Hyatt what was available for uh, kind of a sounding board uh, when coming up with some of these ideas. Uh, some things took place that uh, caused her to rise to the top in terms of just having my back and like just being on board for this. Uh, not the least of which she's a mechanical engineer and hugely intelligent and uh, just on fire for the rescue and medical service and we kind of started rapping about it and uh, one thing led to another uh, and uh, it dawned on me that if you start a business when nobody's doing business, you're going to be able to pay attention to details without that, that pressure to go out and get clients. And so we took, you know, essentially 14 months to uh, make mistakes and not, and have them not, uh, really economically impact us or keep us from moving forward with something. We just kind of slowly built a company exactly the way we wanted to. And uh, it has been uh, perfect. It, it just could not have turned out any better. Well, congratulations for doing that. As somebody that's started a company and sold it once and bought it back and a few other things in between, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. It's, you know, there, there's a few challenges I've had in life, and this definitely rates up in the top 10, you know, running business. So congratulations for you two for starting that out. Yeah, it's been a it's been a fun experience. I, I would not have been able to do it uh, without Funk for for sure. Uh, she is uh, she's our COO and the absolute backbone of our company. Uh, I'm the guy that uh, talks a lot and uh she runs everything else and it's been a perfect uh business marriage to say the least and our our uh, her husband and i are good friends as well as her and my wife so uh everybody gets along and it's it's been just awesome and now they're just beating our doors down for uh what we're uh what we're doing so we are blessed yeah it's uh that's great to hear that's our problem here at Ronan. When we look around the room and go, who's the intellectual one here? Let's go rig rope. Um, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. A uh, couple weird off the cuff questions. I know looking through your website, you guys have some notch bags. I was only introduced to them in Los Angeles, sorry, Long Beach a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Is that a go-to for your organization? Like what are your thoughts on that particular product? So, um, 
I've been doing business uh, buying gear from Rescue Direct for the entire time I've been in the business. And Mark uh, Connell is uh, is just retired, and uh, him and his wife are kind of uh, fading off into the sunset. And uh, they were uh, purchased uh, by an arborist company. And um, Matt, my new contact, if you will, he and I kind of just uh, drummed up a, a friendship over this transition. And Notch showed up at my door the other day. Uh, I'm uh, essentially um, uh, just uh, going to work through some gear for him and, and give my feedback. Uh, fortunately, there's one or two people out there that care what I have to say. And so uh, it's funny you mention it because it's sitting right in front of me. I just loaded my personal gear into it yesterday and uh, I'm starting to drive the thing around and see how I like it. Uh, it's funny, I talked about being a minimalist, but it looks like there's a lot of shit in that bag from here. <laughs> Total tangent. When we were down in Long Beach, it was the first place I'd taught where I think everybody had at least one personal clutch on them. Like the gear that was just overflowing out of stuff was like, okay, this is getting a bit excessive here, lads. <laughs> yeah, it does get ridiculous. Uh, but, but here, man, we carry like uh, hydration packs. You got to have one, you know? And when you start adding those bigger pieces to a kit, you just don't have room in your bag. And I've been, uh, I love CMC products. Uh, I'll live and die by them. And uh, their Whitney bag, I've had uh, several iterations of that over the years. But this notch uh, is, is letting me put everything in the bag at one time. And uh, when you're traveling around, whether it be competition or, or uh, teaching, uh, I just don't like to have to, to pick and choose where I put my gear and, and uh, have things hanging off the outside. So uh, at least that it's definitely accomplished what I needed. Right on. Any other thoughts on now that we've talked about stuffing, a, you know, 10 pounds into this notch bag on uncomplicating <laughs> yeah. the rescue? Uh, I, I think it, it, it has to do with thinking your way through things, but not, not obviously on site. Uh, there has to be, um, there has to be a lot of thought, um, uh, prior to showing up. And, uh, I had, uh, uh, my background is my parents were professional race car drivers. And so there's a lot of, uh, uh, visualization and positive thinking, uh, prior to pulling the trigger on a 300 mile an hour, uh, top fuel dragster. And uh, then, as we spoke offline earlier, became a professional rodeo cowboy, uh, went to college on a scholarship and that kind of thing. And riding bucking horses for a living is, uh, you know, eight seconds at a time. You just, you just don't think your way through those things. You, you spend a lot of time in visualization and um, making sure everything's perfect uh, when you nod your head. And it's the same thing with rescue. Um, if you want to do well at saving lives, you have to live and eat and breathe this. This is a, a perishable skill that is going to not be there when you are under stress. If you do not spend a, a lot of time thinking it through before arriving on scene. And um, that's exactly what I meant by that article. That's really interesting. So you're talking from even breaking down into the personal skills, uh, visualization, um, you know, those types of ideas. Is that what we're looking at here? Yeah. I mean, a, a bucking horse will make uh, about 14, 15 jumps in eight seconds. So there's, there, you're not going to be thinking through that a whole lot. I've had opportunities uh, or, or, or times uh, where horses are bucking out through an arena that's uh, say holding you know ten or fifteen thousand people, and and I can hear uh, a, a lady uh, scold her child for dropping her ice cream. It's just weird how the the brain works if you can kind of autopilot through something. And I don't mean mailing it in. I mean being so in tune to what's going on that you can just take a break from it and let it flow. And um, rescue is no different in my opinion. Um, when I visualize loading a, a clutch versus a, a, a pencil, I have a, 
you know, I have a, a way that I go about it to make sure that it gets done right every time when I teach it. And um, when I'm kind of going through these scenarios in my mind where I'm laying in bed and want to go to sleep, um, I know what the, the rope smells like. I know what it feels like. I know what color I'm going to be using. Um, it doesn't say that I have to use that color and nothing, you know, shits the bed when something doesn't work out because I spend so much time uh, visualizing different scenarios in a rescue that when it happens, it's almost like um, I've just uncomplicated the complica complicated, you know, I just, um, it, it's not overwhelming at that point. Does that make sense? Well, it makes total sense. I mean, it's little things like that that you mentioned. We tell our folks, the carabiners you're going to use at Grimm, leave one in your car. When you're stuck in traffic, open and close it. Absolutely. Right side up, upside down, left hand, right hand, spin it around. I want to be able to throw you a carabiner and you catch it and open it and put it into play without having to look at it. Because Absolutely. it's second nature. Do it like load devices, bring rope. We advocate that fairly heavily to do it. And the visualization piece and, you know, Professional athletes do it, obviously, like you say, from your background, both your parents and yourself with what you were doing in life with race car driving, which is totally cool, by the way, <laughs> and uh, doing the rodeo circuit, it's visualization. When you're doing things at a certain level, my son did okay at swimming. They would visualize races. They would know where they were taking turns. You know, they would visualize in certain pools, cheats and cuts they could do. I mean, and like you say, Absolutely. the world didn't end if it didn't happen, but they had plan A and plan B and plan C already in their head. Yeah, just um, it, you're, it, you have a critical path to anything, I think, in life. Uh, you know, in order to be successful, you kind of have to put, you know, the right foot before the left foot and so on and so forth. And if you if you kind of look at, 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 at life saving in that same regard, um, you know, you've, you've got to clear the airway, right? That's kind of important. It's usually right up there at front, right? And uh, we don't start bandaging on somebody's uh, toe before we make sure that they're breathing. And um, it's the same principle in everything. Uh, I, I think it's funny. People marvel at like how quickly you can put a prussic on and have it dressed just right or something. It, it, man, if you, if, you, if you can't do the simple things, uh, I don't want... I don't want to see you do the big things, you know, um, you, you kind of need to know what you need right then. You know, do I need a VT prusik? Am I going up a rope? Am I coming down? Do I need a, you know, a regular prusik or, or whatever it is and uh, have that skill set uh, as second nature, just like you said on the carabiner. I think that's a great idea. Uh, sometimes the wives or significant others of the team members aren't so thrilled about it. <laughs> That is an absolute fact, but we've gotten lucky or I've gotten lucky for sure with, uh, with Lisa, she is, um, a hundred percent supportive, but, um, she, uh, uses dork in a sentence quite a bit when talking to me. Yeah. My wife actually got me work in France. She was, we were doing grimp and somebody came up a buddy of mine and, uh, was asking about a certain device it was one of the first years they used the vortex and she's like yeah they've got both vortexes and pterodactyls and blah 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 he's like oh could you give him my card because i need someone <laughs> to look at this so yeah for your wife to know the difference between two different artificial hydrorectionals on the market are pretty decent <laughs> yeah that's right uh i'm looking around right now we're the house is being re-roofed and the garage has a flat roof in Texas. Those are terrible and it's leaking and uh, our gear trailer isn't in yet. So I am sitting in uh, my living room surrounded by my entire loadout, plus all the t-shirts and hats and everything else. And uh, she, uh, uh, she may hate me, but she's doing a really good job at hiding it. So I'm stoked at her uh, supporting me for sure. Yeah, after all these years, she doesn't mind it kicking around, but I try to leave the Ronin stuff in the Ronin shop and the fire stuff in my locker. But it does <laughs> it does go over every once in a while. I mean, I can't look around a room in this house and not see 
some piece of rescue equipment. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but, uh, she has been nice enough to let me, uh, use her in patient packaging and stuff for our PowerPoint. So, uh, she gets a kick out of that, but, uh, she doesn't, she wants nothing to do with heights. That's for sure. Yeah. My wife, she took a deep breath last year. We were in Taiwan and my son came on with the company, I guess it was two years ago now, pre COVID the 2018. Nice. So we had to do a 300 foot rappel. Mm -hmm. And they, they nodded the end of the rope, but he was free hanging 300 feet down this rope. <laughs> that was the first rescue. He did another 200 foot into a canyon. And I could see that as a mother, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's looking at you like you bastard. Pretty much. Yeah. So um, anything else you want to add into this? We, I mean, not even on the uncomplicated, the complicated, uncomplicating the complicated, but anything else you want to throw down? And just uh, people that are listening to this, um, take your skill set serious. Um, it's not something that um, you can use just every now and again. Um, I have a sign uh, going into one of our rescue hooches at work that says, uh, if every rescue tech was just like you, how good would your team be? And uh, I want people to look in the mirror and ask them, uh, themselves that every day. What can you do to save more lives? Um, I'm 50 now, so I'm looking through a different lens than some of these kids that are in the service. But uh, when you, and you can probably relate here, when you get a little older, you start to think about uh, mortality and uh, uh, and then you you start to look around that of all the stuff that you've um, acquired in your life, and uh, it dawns on me that um, only douchebags would lay on their deathbed wishing they had more shit. I think uh, the most noble of us, uh, all the way to the the worst of us, probably lays there and says, "I wish I had more time," and I don't want to do either. I want to know that I spent every day helping people to save lives. And, um, and it, it is not something that I ever turn off. And I want the people around me to want it that bad. And I think it's just a choice. If you're going to do this and hang from rope at height, you need to take it serious and uh, you need to give back and share these uh, best practices and pro tips. That, that's my uh, soapbox. It's absolutely true because what you share with the next upcoming generation, the life you save might be your own. It absolutely can be. And, uh, and I've been very fortunate to, to do some pretty neat deployments. Um, even did a, a high angle rescue into Swiftwater one time. Uh, and so we've got some cool stories to tell, but I can save a lot more lives by uh, spending time in front of people, uh, teaching them to save lives. I mean, it's just simple math, right? And um, uh, we're very fortunate that people want to hear what we have to say. And um, uh, I hope and, and I believe that how serious we take it uh, kind of uh, translates to them. And, uh, you know, being around the Ronin guys a couple of weeks ago, uh, Micah Rush from Peak Rescue, um, those guys are, are guys that I call friends and, uh, they, uh, they mean it. You know what I mean? When, 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 when they're downloading a piece of information to somebody, you can see how much it means to them to do that. And, um, uh, so yeah, my last piece of advice is find you some mentors that, um, that, that care that much that want it that bad and, uh, and, and listen to what they have to say. Wicked advice, wicked advice. Where Thank can you, folks get a hold of you? And if, uh, wait, let me let me just throw a tangent in here. If you want cool t-shirts, go to your website. You go to Shaggy's <laughs> website. But go on. Where can people get a hold of you? Uh, shaggy at verticalintegrity.com or uh, www.verticalintegritarescue.com. Um, the uh and actually i messed up my own email it's at gmail i'm sorry um <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i told you it funks here for a reason right uh you should you need to ask her anything that has to do with business and then ask me about presence but anyhow 
yeah, come get our t-shirts and, uh, and then post them online at our hashtag and make fun of Craig at Ronin Rescue because we have the same motto. Have you talked to Craig about that? Yeah, he, he pitched that. <laughs> it was funny. We were sitting in a pool in Long Beach up at the top of the hotel and Ed's wearing one of your shirts and your partnership there with uh, uh, Grunt Life. Obviously, a lot of us are veterans mm-hmm. and is as well served in Afghanistan with both the British and the Canadian militaries. Yeah, he did. So he was all over that. And Craig sees the back and he makes the comment that he made to you down there. And I'm like, yeah, dude. He's got the cool T-shirt, though, so I really don't know what leg you could stand on here. Yeah, I told him I told him I was going to change it, and uh, and I, I got with Funk, and I was like, man, I, I have a new uh, deal for the back of the T-shirt. And she said, what? And I said, it's going to say vertical integrity. We're reasonably sure this is going to work. And she, <laughs> and she's so literal, she called the lawyer to ask permission, and I got a letter back, cease and desist. You can't put that on your shit. <laughs> yeah we've, we've done a few things as well that uh, we might have got the odd piece on you notice there's some shirts we don't sell because we're not allowed to sell them <laughs> yeah yeah it's like come on have a sense of humor you know i, I tell my students that all the time i'm reasonably sure this is going to work I, I really i feel like you're lucky yeah that's great yeah, so the great T-shirts, and like you say, get them on there, get them up uh, onto the social media. Uh, any closing thoughts, or are we good? Man, I think we're good. Uh, I super appreciate you reaching out to me. Um, uh, love the format. Uh, we listen to your uh, podcast all the time. I think you're doing, you guys are doing a great job. And uh, uh, I'm just stoked that uh, I didn't have to, to get into any uh, measurements or anything because I was stressed about uh, wanting to uh, show uh, some Canada respect and come with the uh, metric system, but I was going to blow it. So I'm glad we didn't have to go there. Yeah. See with Craig now, we use like dishwashers, you know, like <laughs> using a measurement or we're going to put 17 of your pickup trucks in there, Craig, anything just to throw them off. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant, man. That is brilliant. Right on. Well, thanks for coming on and uh, we will chat later. Again, man, thanks for having me. Be uh, more than happy to come on anytime, man. All righty.